it was only uh, two Lord's Days ago that I was here uh, preaching from Matthew chapter 18, uh, verses 10 through 14. And in that passage, Jesus warned us against despising little ones. And perhaps you remember that the word used for little ones was mikros. Uh, Mikros speaks about diminutive things uh, in verses uh, 10 and 14. But we also notice that it was used in verse 6. Matthew also speaks about it in uh, the 11th chapter and the 11th verse where he speaks about the smallest or the littlest or the least in the kingdom of heaven are greater than John the baptizer. We also understand that if we give a cup of cold water to the mikros, it's giving that cup of cold water uh, to Jesus. And when he spoke about mustard seeds, he spoke about them as being the mikros of seeds. But it also speaks about distance. Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane and he went a mikros, a short distance. So you kind of get the idea of what uh, mikros is about. Uh, Then this, this morning we're going to be looking at chapter 19 and here we're going to find that Jesus uses the word or Matthew uses the word paideia and it's translated for us as little children. Uh, but we'll see that paideia is not only translated as little children, but paideia is what Matthew says about when the uh, magi or wise men came. They wanted to find where the paideia was born, where Jesus was born. So let's listen to what Matthew has to tell us here in chapter 19 and verses 13. Uh, through 15. It's found on page uh, 868 if you need to have a page number for the Pew Bible. Hear again now uh, the Word of God. Then Paideia, then little children were brought to him, to Jesus, that he might put his hands on them and pray. But the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. We know that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen three major characters in these few verses. And we'll spend most of our time on the first and the last. The first are parents. Parents who are concerned that their children encounter Jesus. We understand that parents are bringing their children to Jesus. If we were to look at Mark chapter 10 and the passage there that's parallel to this and Luke chapter 18 and the passage that's parallel to this, we would find that whereas Matthew speaks about parents 
who brought their children to Jesus. It's an heiress. It's something that happens in the past with present impact. Whereas Mark and Luke speak about bringing the children. So in the other, in the other Gospels, it's more like this is something that parents were continually seeking to do. When Jesus was near, they wanted to make sure their children encountered Jesus. And perhaps, as we understand from historians, it's because 50% of the children born at this time did not make it to teenage years. And so there was a real concern if every other child is prone to die, that parents want to make sure their children encounter Jesus. And I trust that's true for each one of us as parents, particularly as we have had the opportunity to have our children baptized. Because when we have our children baptized, we, we recognize that, that these children are possessions of God granted to our care. And therefore, we promise to provide for, yes, the temporal well-being of our children, but more than that, we promise to help our children to love God, to love his word. Indeed, we want them to understand through a God-centered education how it is that they live and move and have their being in him and they understand their calling from him to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. We also read the scriptures with them. We pray with them. Children, you're brought here each Lord's Day because your children, your parents have, have promised to bring you here where you you're not going to encounter Jesus in the flesh, but he's going to be opened up to you as we go through the scriptures. And you'll be challenged week by week by week to put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Your parents are seeking to show you what it's like to live by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so parents, we have a significant challenge. But it's not just parents who have this challenge. Every member of this congregation who was present when a child was baptized said this, I promise as members of this congregation, to receive this child into our fellowship and promise to pray for and with him and to help and encourage the parents as they seek to bring their children up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So we who don't have children in our homes or we who've never had children in our homes also have a responsibility with regard to the children in this congregation. 
So when children are not as still, children are wonderful today. Quiet, still, attentive. This is great. This is wonderful. We pray for this. But when children become childish, <laughs> we thank God that they're here and we're not turned off by it and we don't look down on parents because of it. We don't want to do anything that would hinder these little sheep to not love Jesus. And we look forward, don't we, to the testimony that our children are going to make of how God spared them from horrible sins because at a very young age they began to understand it's important to love Jesus. And the way I love Jesus is to walk in the way he wants me to walk. And he wants me to walk in love with him, believing that he has come to live that perfect life, to die on that cross, to die the death that I deserve to die because of my sin. We read in Genesis, when God looked at humanity, he spoke about our youthfulness being given over to sin. So when we talk about innocent children, we're really on dangerous ground. you children were born with a disposition to not love God. But your parents brought you and had you baptized so that Jesus could lay his claim on you. The Father in heaven could lay his claim on you. You belong to God. And so as you grow up, trusting Jesus, trusting God, believing what your parents say when they say, you know, if you love Jesus, you're not going to steal. You're not going to lie. You're not going to. And they begin to put you in touch with the Ten Commandments. And you begin to live in light of those Ten Commandments so that one day you'll be able to come before the session and say, I believe Jesus is my Lord and my Savior and I'm ready to make a public profession of my faith. And my prayer is, your parents' prayer is, our prayer is that when you make that profession of faith, 
you'll have a covenantal sort of testimony. What do I mean by that? I mean a testimony that is able to say, God spared me from a horrible, sinful life because he made me understand his love for me in his death on the cross, his burial, and his resurrection. So that you don't have to one of those Pauline conversions, you know, where you're walking down the Damascus Road and a light shines and you're blinded. Why? Because you're a persecutor of the church. Because you're a hater of the church. Because you grow up as a child who says, I don't want to deal with the church. I don't like the church. I can't stand the church. I'm tired of the church. See, the prayer is that at a young age you come to love the Lord and therefore you love being with your brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ. You know, statistics tell us that the older you get, the harder it seems to be for you to come to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in these formative years when the gospel's being proclaimed, when your parents are raising you up in the Lord, that you come to believe in the salvation that is there for you. You come to understand what we sing in Psalm 139 and verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You covered me in my mother's womb. You begin to understand that the love of God was manifesting itself in your life even as you were carried in the womb of your mother. And then Romans chapter 8 and verses 14 through 17. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also that we may also be glorified together. You see, the Bible speaks in our passage about little children, paideia, but it'll take that word and it'll use it to refer to everyone, no matter how old you are, as being adopted into the family of God. And so you become children of God, children of the kingdom baptized into the kingdom, making good that baptism when you come to profess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and enjoy the supper together with God's people. Children, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you are a 
person here this morning, not a young one, but an older person who has not believed in the Lord Jesus Christ, then I call you to repent of your sins and to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Parents, we have to be sure that when we tell our, parent, our children, this is what you are to do, we give them the commands and say, obey your parents. That we do it the way the commandments were given. Do you remember? I, the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The commandments of God are always predicated on the grace of God. Why do we do what God tells us to do? Because he loves us. And because he's graciously given us a desire to love him. And that desire to love him is manifested in our faithfulness in keeping the commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them, Jesus said. He it is who loves me. His love we always want to root the commandments that we give to our children in grace, in our love. And how many times as parents, when we've had to corporally punish, if you do that, your children, we've embraced them after that, sought to instill in them the fact that it's out of love that we've had to do this. Not because we're angry, and despise them because we love them. We want to see them walk in God's love. Well, then, the second main character is you see them well, don't you? And you understand so often this is what they do. The disciples of Jesus did what? Get the children away from here! <laughs> don't bring those children to Jesus! He doesn't have time for children. Why might they say that? Well, what do we know about the disciples? <clears throat> Jesus, may I sit on your right and my brother on your left in your kingdom? Who's the greatest among us, Jesus? And their idea of Jesus and his kingdom was this son of David was going to be like David was. He was going to be a king of bloodshed. He was going to be a king who was going to overthrow the Romans and take back the land by force. The little children aren't much value in an army that's trying to overthrow the Roman army. We don't need these children encumbering us. Take them away. Sadly, there are some disciples of Christ in some churches of Christ who have children church because we adults can't be bothered with little children around us. 
There are some where children don't come until they're 12 years of age and they're supposed to all of a sudden know at 12 years of age how to behave in a worship service? Irish brothers that I've had fellowship with have sought to change that mindset in congregations there. No children need to be as they're able in worship. Let's not be like the disciples were and rebuke parents for bringing children to church and church events. So I said we'll spend most of our time on the first and the third and the third main character is Jesus. Jesus. Let the little children, let the paideia come to me and do not forbid them. Sometimes I really wrestle with the practices that I've been involved in as a minister and an elder in the Reformed Presbyterian Church. It, it almost seems like you have to have a Bible 101 course with an A in it in order to become a communicant member. I know. Jesus commissioned us to disciple the nations, make disciples of the nations. And what happens when someone comes to repentance and faith? They're baptized, and their children would be baptized with them. And then they would be taught everything that Jesus commanded. And as they're then able to make a right profession of faith regarding who Jesus is and what their salvation is in him, they come to the table. They come to the table. As they're able to take that covenant of communicant membership for themselves. They believe the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments to be the word of God, the only infallible rule of faith and life. They believe in the one living and true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit as revealed in scriptures. They repent of their sins. They confess their guilt and helplessness as a sinner against God. They profess Jesus, Son of God, Jesus Christ, Son of God, as their Savior and Lord, and they dedicate themselves to His service, and they promise that they will endeavor to forsake all sin and to conform their life to His teaching and example. And they're able to say, I promise to submit in the Lord to the teaching and government of this church as being based upon the Scriptures and described in substance in the Constitution of the Reformed Presbyterian Church of North America. And, I, and they recognize their responsibility to work with others in the church and, and promise to support and encourage them in their service in the Lord. And if they need correction they, in doctrine or life, they promise to respect the authority and discipline of the church. That they might grow in the Christian life, they will diligently read the Bible, they will engage in private prayer, they will keep the Lord's day, they'll regularly attend the worship services, they'll observe the appointed sacraments, they'll give the Lord's work as he prospers. This is the kind of thing that they're able then to profess 
and they've grown up coming to church hearing people make this promise and they purpose to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all relationships of life faithfully to perform their whole duty as a true servant of Jesus Christ and seek to win others to him and they promise faith and purpose in the presence of God relying on his grace because they know they'll give their account with joy at the last great day. Let the children come. Don't forbid them to come. For such is the kingdom of heaven. Now it's this idea for such is the kingdom of heaven that we tend to understand children who are aborted may indeed by God's grace be in heaven. We can't say Every aborted child will indeed be in heaven. We don't know that. But we will say that a baptized child dying in infancy quite likely is indeed in heaven. Because such are those who are in the kingdom of heaven. How do we become members of the kingdom of heaven? Jesus said, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So we are to repent and believe that we are therefore in the kingdom. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. It's interesting in Luke chapter 18 and verses 15 through 17. Then they also brought infants to him that he might touch them. The brephe. The brephe. John the baptizer, the brephe in his mother's womb, leapt for joy when Mary came and talked to Elizabeth about her pregnancy. So the brephe is even an unborn in the womb child. But obviously, these are indeed the infants the newborn, they are being brought to Jesus. For such is the kingdom of heaven. We're to have that childlike faith. 
the child who has nothing to offer but must receive everything in order to grow up. Nicodemus said, how can I enter into my mother's womb and come out again? I wonder what Nicodemus would have said when we read the last time I was here, you must become as a little child in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. How can I, who is an adult, become a child? We deny ourselves. We take up the cross and we follow Jesus. Let the little children come to me. A childlike faith, not childish faith. The childlike faith, as we'll see this evening, is that gift of God that we enjoy. And so children of God, you who have made that public profession of faith, the supper's for you. If you indeed searched your heart, know yourself to be right with the Lord Jesus Christ, having repented of your sins, understand how you stand with one another in the body of Christ. If you are not a member of a Reformed Presbyterian Church or of a Napark Church, and have been interviewed by elders in a Reformed Presbyterian Church, you're welcome to have the supper. It is the responsibility of the elders of the church to exercise the power of the keys to welcome those who would come just as we would welcome someone to be baptized based on their credible profession of faith. Let the little children come to me and do not forbid them for of such is the kingdom of heaven. Amen.